Welcome to a special episode of City View with Mayor Tom Koch. I'm Mark Carey, as media director. And on this special episode, Mayor Koch interviews one of Quincy's own, General Joseph Dunford, a Quincy native and the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. General Dunford is also featured in our newest documentary, City of Generals, Quincy's Modern Day Patriots. It's a documentary highlighting the story of seven military generals from Quincy, out of the 18 generals that come from this city since the American Revolution. The film captures the city of Quincy's patriotic traditions and dedication of the General's Bridge and Park in Quincy Center last fall, and it features seven of the generals, all of whom can be referred to as modern-day patriots. You can find that documentary at quincygenerals.com. That's quincygenerals.com or on the City of Quincy's YouTube page. We highly recommend you take a look and find out what it's all about. And it's also about the people of Quincy. On part one of a two-part podcast, Mayor Koch talks to General Dunford about his distinguished military career, and on this episode, Afghanistan. So without further ado, Mayor Tom Koch interviewing General Joseph Dunford. Welcome, everybody. I'm joined today in my office by a very special guest for today's podcast, uh, General Joseph Dunford, who's a Quincy man, grew up in Marymount, and went on to have an incredible career serving our nation in the military, joined the Marine Corps, rose to the level of Commandant and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, advising presidents. I can't imagine the stuff that went through your head uh, trying to get to sleep at night, General, but Welcome. Hey, thanks, Mayor. It's great. It's great to be with you. I want to reflect it all on your years of service. It's been a couple of years since you've been out. Do you miss it? You know, the the only thing that I miss uh, is actually being around a bunch of young men and women uh, who have you know such great commitment and sense of purpose into doing something really important. After forty two years, I was ready to rebalance uh, with my family, and my family was ready to have me uh, to have me home. But the only thing I really miss is that, and I don't miss the the people so much because I've I've stayed engaged with the people and stayed connected with the people. So uh, you know, the military is in 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 many ways still my family. I think there is a great appreciation in this country for the men and women who serve. Uh, thank God for that. But I don't think they truly understand the sacrifice uh, that families make for, for Korea military people like yourself. How many times did you move during the course of your service? Yeah, Ellen, Ellen uh, Mayor, my wife, would know the exact number uh, that we did ma- married, but uh, I think 22 or 23 is the number that she quotes. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, most people, it's one, two, or three times, and, and then that, it's a huge chore. So again, we appreciate your service, but thank you for joining me today. And just want to talk about a couple of issues. I know that it's still a little bit of a an issue in circles, particularly when you talk to folks in the military, and I'm not necessarily getting into the conservative and liberal discussions, but our departure from Afghanistan under President Biden, I know it was talked about for a number of years at some point, how we would leave, when we would leave, but just reflect on that. First of all, we appreciate the incredible service, the men and women who served in Iraq and Afghanistan. I think we should never lose sight of that fact. And now when you read a little bit of what's going on in Afghanistan now, the push with the Taliban is, is women have to, their face have to be covered. Girls can't go to school anymore. It's, um, it's really a shame. But I, just if you want to comment on that, I know you spoke at the Chamber of Commerce breakfast last year and very articulate about that issue. And it was an interesting angle you had on that. I thought it was was excellent. I know people still question this, so maybe you could shed some sure. light on it. You know, I think, Mayor, first it's important for us to remember why did we go there in the wake of 9-11. We went there because there was a threat to the United States, to the American people from Afghanistan. We saw that on, on 9-11. 
And in my view, what was accomplished over the 20 years was we mitigated the risk of another 9-11. There are over 20 terrorist groups operating in South Asia. And uh, on a daily da- daily basis, we had special operations forces in the eastern part of the country, supported by conventional forces across the country, putting pressure on those terrorist groups. So I think what's really important is, you know, some people evaluate the success based on what did we accomplish in Afghanistan in terms of establishing governance, in terms of establishing economy, in terms of establishing a long-term military presence. That wasn't our objective. It never was our objective. It's become confused. Our objective was to prevent another 9-11. And I used to equate our presence in Afghanistan to term insurance. The fact is that our presence in Afghanistan mitigated the risk of another 9-11. It it cost money. Uh, We had casualties that were there. But I think the men and women that, that served in Afghanistan rotation after rotation understood that their presence was uh, protecting our way of life back at home and, again, mitigating the risk of another 9-11. So when the president made a decision to withdraw, the consensus was, and I was part of a study for about a year before the Biden administration took office, and we delivered that study to the Biden administration, the consensus was that these groups would have an opportunity to reconstitute and once again pose a threat. And so we had to find a different way then to protect the American people in the way that we had been doing for the past 20 years. Do you feel the departure was abrupt? Could we have done it better? Yeah, I think I think there's no question we could have done it better. I mean, some people would argue that whenever we left, it was going to be it was going to be ugly, and I think there is some truth to that. Although there's times of the year and there's conditions that can be set that could have that could have mitigated risk. I think if the team had had a chance to look at it again and said, okay, was August the best time to withdraw from Afghanistan, you know, during the peak of what is known in Afghanistan as the fighting season, that may or may not have been the time that they chose. But I but I do accept the people who say that chaos was gonna result once when we departed, regardless of when we departed. That was actually the conclusion of the study I alluded to, Mayor, was that we said that uh, in all likelihood there'd be a, a tremendous violence and, uh, and the government and the security forces would be unlikely to survive in the absence of a U.S. and, and, and importantly, an international presence. At one time, we had over 50 countries represented right. in the coalition that was in Afghanistan. How about a message to the men and women who served throughout that conflict? Um, obviously, we know Quincy people that were there at the departure. Uh, I know of... Uh, uh, an airborne ranger, and I know of a uh, marine that was there uh, at the time of, at the time of departure. And I think there was some mix of you publicly about our men and women who serve and continue to serve. They they respond to the to the policy, right? They don't set policy, but uh, maybe a message to them. Sure, I, I think the number one thing they should know is you know veterans should never let somebody else define their service. They volunteered to serve. They served honorably. They took care of the man and woman on the left and right. And that's what they can control. And what we we do in our country is uh, we follow the Constitution. The president makes decisions. The Congress funds the missions. And the men and women execute their orders. And I, I, my own belief is that for 20 years, uh, the men and women, to use a Marine expression, kept their honor clean in Afghanistan. They performed a mission. They performed it competently. The record speaks for itself in terms of if the purpose was to prevent another 9-11, we did not have another significant terrorist attack from uh, radical extremists from that part of the part of the world uh, for those 20 years. And I think the men and women can be proud of that. And with regard to the ending, 
that was a choice. That was a political decision uh, to be made when we left and how we left, and not a reflection on the men and women who served, who, frankly, even in the execution of the evacuation in August of 2021, performed magnificently by all accounts. Let me shift the focus a little bit. I read different, obviously, reports. I look at different news reports, and, and there's, you know, there's folks that argue we shouldn't be nation-building, we shouldn't be doing this, we shouldn't be doing that. Uh, what is the objective? And you spoke very well of the objective. But while we're there, there's those other benefits that we as a country like to share. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about that side of it. Sure. So, you know, what I like to say, when you're conducting counterterrorism operations, you need two things. You need a platform that's a place to operate from, and you need partners in the region that can help you with intelligence, that can help you conduct operations. So we were there to protect the American people. We were there to protect Western uh, countries uh, in our way of life. The relationship we had with the Afghans was a partnership in the sense that we had mutual interests. It was in our interest to prevent attacks similar to 9-11 again, and it was in the Afghan people's interest to take advantage of our presence to build their country. But, you know, in my view, the support that we're providing, it was up to them to establish governance. It was up to them to establish enduring security forces with our help. Our presence was, was giving them the time and space to be able to do that. Uh, that wasn't our mission. Right. Uh, we weren't trying to build Afghanistan. But frankly, part of the deal of our presence there and our ability to conduct operations there was a benefit uh, to the Afghan people from the support that came from the United States and frankly from the international community as well. It's a little sad to see. They got a taste of some freedoms. They got a taste of like young women getting educated. And it appears that uh, that's going backwards again because of that culture. I know we can't change the cultures of the world, uh, but a little sad to see that part, that's for sure. Mayor, on a, on a personal level, I think, you know, you talked about the men and women who served there. I think all of us who served there, you know, have a little piece of Afghanistan in our heart and the Afghan people in our heart. And uh, and we did see, you know, a tremendous promise in the country. And you look at the numbers of young girls that were educated while we were there. When you look at the numbers of schools that were open, the numbers of hospitals, I mean, it all is a matter of public record. There was a lot of improvements made in Afghanistan. Even the lifespan of the Afghan people increased uh, over those over those 20 years as a result of some of this progress. And, uh, and it is very sad to see the oppressive government of the Taliban come back in and squash those, those individual freedoms. And it's going to be up to, I've talked to some Afghans here in the United States, it's going to be up to the Afghan diaspora that came out of Afghanistan to decide whether or not they can help the people back in Afghanistan. It's going to be up to the Afghan people inside of Afghanistan to decide if this is the direction they want to, come, they want to go in. It's going to be difficult because of the nature of the regime, the character of the regime of the Taliban. But, uh, but, but there are still a large number of Afghan people who know what's possible. Right. And with that, there may be a bit of hope. But again, it's, it's, it's going to be on them. So you've, you've uh, held just about every position going up through the ranks of the Marine Corps. Obviously, uh, not many reached the position of chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. That's, that's pretty incredible being nominated by the president to do that. It speaks of your leadership skills and character. Was there a particular favorite time or job you had on the Marine Corps? I, I probably didn't appreciate it at the time, but when, when I look back to my initial days uh, as, a, as a lieutenant, where you're responsible for 40 Marines, and you know every one of them. You know everything about their families, you know everything about their life, you know everything about their long-term goals, their short-term goals, and that relationship that you have in a unit of about 40 Marines, it isn't ever replicated again. The more senior you become, 
uh, the more difficult it is to have a personal relationship with all the Marines and sailors that you're responsible for. And, uh, and you miss that over time, and your job becomes actually more about setting the conditions for them to be successful and making sure they have the resources necessary to accomplish the mission than it is uh, the day-to-day engagement that, you, that you're fortunate enough to have as a young officer. So in many ways, on a personal level, it, those early days were, were pretty special. Having said that, you know, as a senior leader, uh, just like you as the mayor, you take a lot of pride in getting them the resources that they need in unleashing their initiative and unleashing their, you know, their ability to get get the job done. So both ends of my career were rewarding, but in really different ways. Sure, sure. And during the course of your service, I know we talked about this at the dedication of the General's Bridge and Park, but Chief of Staff of the Army, James McConville, um, who you grew up with, but you also uh, experienced uh, service together. Was it in Iraq or Afghanistan? Yeah, so Mayor both. You know, Jim McConville, uh, as you know, grew up, uh, I think, maybe 150 yards from the Dunford family, one street away. Uh, he said he paid too much for the paper route. Yeah, he probably did. He probably did. We sold, sold the McConville's a paper route and uh, caveat emptor, right? Uh, <laughs> so, but uh, Jim and I first served together in Iraq in 2003, 2004. And it was coincidental. I was, I was home for Christmas in 2003. I was running and down by the beach, chicken top at beach. And somebody went by and said, hey, Joe, is that you? And it was Jim McConnell. <laughs> and in the course of conversation, I said, yeah, hey, Jim, I just got back from Iraq and uh, getting ready to go back here in February. And what, what position were you in at that point? So I'd been a regimental commander in 2003, okay. and I was now going back as the chief of staff of the 1st Marine Division. Okay. Jim was a brigade commander in the 1st Cavalry Division, Aviation Brigade. He said, that's coincidental. I'm going back to Iraq, too. And we actually were in the same assembly area in Kuwait, in wow. February 2004, getting ready to go into uh, Iraq. And then during the Battle of Fallujah in 2004, 1st Marine Division, with Army units in support, fought the Battle of Fallujah, and Jim McConville's Aviation Brigade was flying over my Marines, providing support to him. Wow. And by the way, the Red Sox won the World Series the year that we were there for the first time <laughs> in 86 years when we were together in Iraq. There's, and I, I bring that up for a reason, because we then served again in Afghanistan. When I was a commander in Afghanistan, the country was organized into regional commands. And Jim was responsible for regional command east, so he was one of my commanders in the eastern eastern part of the country, and we had a chance to serve together again. And the two times that he and I served together in combat, the Red Sox won the World Series both times. Wow, wow. We've got to get you back in. <laughs> <laughs> That's remarkable. And, and I know uh, uh, he's another uh, great guy who comes from a credible family here in Quincy, and just one of those great American families. I, I know that... You were probably inspired a little bit by your dad. Your dad served as a Marine during the Korea War. He saw some serious stuff. Was it always the Marines when you thought about it? Yeah, it was for me. And, and you know, just back to Jim, because I think it'd be interesting to the people in Quincy. I mean, at one time, two of the six members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff were from Quincy when Jim and I overlapped uh, on the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So I think that's important for, uh, for people in Quincy uh, to know that. But, you know, in my case, my dad had been a Marine, and he certainly didn't encourage me to join the Marines, but... I always knew growing up that that part of his life was very special. The people that he served with were very special, and there was a degree of pride that he had in Marines. We'd go to events where Marine units would be there, and I could see there was something special about the way he uh, reacted to them. And so, you know, as early as uh, sixth grade at St. Anne's in Wollaston, right up the street from where we are right now, 
I wrote an essay in school uh, saying that in the future I was going to be a part-time FBI agent and a part-time Marine. And so from the earliest days, I think when I, when I knew I, you know, that service was something that my uncles had done, my father had done, was something I certainly was inspired to do, uh, it was always going to be the Marines. Yeah, and if attracted General McConville, who will say it was always going to be the Army, right? No, that's <laughs> exactly his right. Case. That's right. He was, uh, he was a bit misguided, but but he's turned he's turned out he's turned out okay. <laughs> Let me uh, shift gears once again. So I, I know we're talking in in general terms, but actual combat, you must have seen some horrible things. Uh, you must have seen some things happen to people that you worked with, that uh, you were pals with, that. A very very difficult and i don't think the public truly understands that part we see parades we all celebrate we thank but i don't think the public understands some of the damage that's done to our men and women in the in the work that we all have to do to get them back home uh, in a way that they can they can live in independence and all and i know you've taken on a, a great role with the Semperfy america's fund to help people help our servicemen and women to do that but maybe you can talk about a little bit about that or um, a little bit about the combat aspect of it? Sure. So, so Mayor, I think you're exactly right. I mean, uh, the sacrifice that many uh, have made, uh, whether it's those we lost uh, or those that were wounded, is pretty significant. And I, and I think that we should never forget two groups of people. One is the families who paid that sacrifice. And, you know, one of the most difficult things any of us do is to spend time, you know, with the children uh, of the fallen will never really have the kind of relationship with their children, with their parents that uh, that we were blessed to have, or that our children were blessed to have, with us. And and I think we owe them a debt of gratitude, and we can't ever forget that. You know, as we always talk about Memorial Day, we're quick to say that for those families, Memorial Day is actually every day. So Memorial yeah. Day this month, you know, we'll stop and pause to think about the fallen. But uh, there's not a day that goes by that those that lost uh, a mom or dad, brother, sister, son or daughter uh, aren't thinking about about their loved one. And there's always that empty place, you know, at Thanksgiving, always that empty place at Christmas, always that empty place uh, at the table every night. So, you know, we think about those and I've spent a lot of time. There's some great organizations. Uh, one is called TAPS that takes care of, of the children of the fallen and the spouses of the fallen and, and really gives them a support network and so forth. The organization that, that I'm a part of takes care of those that are catastrophically wounded, ill, and injured. And many of the men and women that served in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, as I say, their quality of life and their independence has been affected, profoundly affected as a result of the of the wounds that they've had. Many suffer physical wounds, uh, certainly because of the improvised explosive devices called IEDs. The numbers of amputees uh, were significant from these last two conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, you know, there are more of them who are alive than in previous wars. And one of the reasons is because we were so quick to get them off the battlefield. Typically, when a man or woman was injured uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan, we had what was called the golden hour. And within 60 minutes, they were in trauma care. Wow. And so the survivability was very high. What that means, though, is more from this war have come home with those, you know, wounds that might have in a previous war not allowed them to survive. But that brings with it great challenges. And, you know, much like the families of the fallen, the challenges that they have never go away. And in fact, arguably, as, as you and I have spoken about, they become more difficult. You know, a young 20-year-old uh, amputee 
still has uh, a lot of strength, still has a lot of enthusiasm. A lot of them use uh, adaptive sports as a way to recover and so forth. And then they get into their 40s and 50s. Uh, they're not able to do that anymore. And, yeah. and some of the wounds become more difficult. By that time, they've had multiple surgeries and so forth. So the fund that I'm a part of is, is really designed to make sure that you know, we say we have a commitment to take care of those uh, who suffer the visible and invisible wounds of war, but that commitment can't end when the when the consciousness of the war ends, right? It's got to be forever. And so what we are trying to do is just make sure that that commitment results in the kind of support that they and their families need uh, for their whole lives. Well, it's important work, and uh, it's gratifying to see some of these organizations that step up to do it. We've seen it firsthand with some homes here in Quincy Homes for Veterans, working with different nonprofits, and what a difference it makes. we got a project going on on Temple Street just around the corner, additional 22 apartments for, for veterans, so it's, uh, it's awesome. So it's great to be part of some of those projects so that we can show in real time, in a tangible way, that we do care and we do appreciate this service. So, well, I'm, I Just one thing, I'm, I'm very proud to tell you that uh, probably the most successful event that we had in support of Semper Fi and America's Fund was right here in Quincy, Mass. last year when uh, when we raised well over a million dollars for those men and women. And, and trust me, they know it came from Quincy. And as you know, we brought some of them back here uh, to say thanks to the to the people uh, from Quincy who were so were so generous, but uh, being from Quincy, uh, I got to tell you that's a, that's a big source of pride for me that that Quincy does in fact step up to take care of our veterans. Well, and that was the result of you challenging me a little bit. I know we <laughs> talked about doing the bridge in the park. You you were a little uh, humble about it, and and we and you wanted it to be about the men and women who serve, maybe without rank. And and I know that when we talked about the America the Semperfy Fund, Semperfy America's Fund, excuse me, we went out and the corporate citizens of the city just stepped up once again, the, the Rob Hales and Dan Corks and Jay Cashmans and Stop and Chop and, and on and on. They just, they were all in. Nobody said no. It was just a matter of what the level would be. So um, that was a great night. That it really was. was a great night. And those are just, um, you, you rattle them off and there's many others, just great people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know we're going to have you back, but uh, I want to thank you for joining me. I know time goes by quickly, but appreciate your insight and sharing a little bit of your story, General. Hey, thanks, Mayor. Great to be with you. On the next City View with Mayor Tom Koch, Mayor Koch concludes his interview with General Joseph Dunford as they talk about the war in Ukraine and China. That's in part two of City View with Mayor Tom Koch. We highly recommend that you visit QuincyGenerals.com where you'll see General Dunford and other generals from Quincy who can all be referred to as modern-day patriots. It's the City of Generals, Quincy's Modern-Day Patriots, a documentary highlighting the stories of seven military generals from Quincy. That's at QuincyGenerals.com or visit our YouTube page. Just search for City of Quincy and you'll find the documentary there. In the coming weeks, as we head toward Memorial Day, Flag Day, and Fourth of July, each one of these interviews will be released in their entirety. So stay tuned for that. Thank you for listening to another episode of City View with Mayor Tom Koch.